there's one thing that we've learned through the life of Joseph, life is hard, right? Wow, life is hard. And Jesus, when he was on this earth, he even said himself to his followers that you will have suffering. And some of you know firsthand right now what that feels like. And our hearts go out to you. This world is full of tribulation, and a big reason for that is because of sin. And there's many people who find themselves living in the pits, and maybe that's what you feel like, even as you're listening this morning. Yep, that's me. I'm there. I'm living in the pits. And that's a big reason why there's so many who like messages from Genesis chapter 37, Genesis chapter 40, where Joseph was actually in pits, and they're like, yes, I like these chapters. I can relate with Joseph. I want to know how I can handle adversity in a godly way. But on the flip side, not many people can say that they've ever experienced a level of success that Joseph had experienced. And that's why often sermons from Genesis 41, they just don't seem to connect very well with people because they're like, well, I don't have that success. This is all theoretically speaking for me. It's different for him. But only God knows truly what's in store for every single one of us, right? We can't say I'll never have this success Joseph ever had because we don't know what the future holds. We know the one who holds our future. But as believers, there are lessons in the life of Joseph in chapter 41 that we can draw out from this narrative that can and must be applied to our lives no matter where we find ourselves. And so I invite you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 41 this morning. Genesis 41. And as we look at the life of Joseph in this chapter through this narrative, I want us to see the right response to success. And you look at a title like that and you say the right response, you give me success, I think I can respond to it quite nicely, quite appropriately. Why don't you go ahead and give me success and let me show you. And, and I know it's easy for us to think that, but believe it or not, friends, it's more difficult to handle success in a godly way than it is to handle adversity in a godly way. A 19th century British historian famously put it this way, adversity is sometimes hard upon a man, but for one man who can stand prosperity, there's a hundred that will stand adversity. So it is not easy by any means to handle success in a godly way. So let's marvel at God's work in the life of Joseph. I'm going to read this whole chapter, so follow along as we go through Genesis 41. 
After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, they came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke. Behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we, when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile, and seven cows plump and attractive came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass, and seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I'd never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me? And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, 
But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land to take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. <coughs> that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God's shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, <coughs> and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paniah and gave him in marriage Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the <coughs> presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities, and he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful <coughs> in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. 
Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Wow. Wow. What an event. And by way of example, Joseph teaches you and me how important it is to always honor God. The right response to success first, honor God. The Lord declares in his word that those who honor him will be honored. And those who despise him will be lightly esteemed. And so through Joseph's life, we've observed up to chapter 41, he honored God. Always. When he was at home, he honored God. When he was in Potiphar's house, he honored God. When he was in the prison, he honored God. And the Lord chose to greatly honor Joseph. So like Joseph, you and I, we must honor God by making sure to testify of God's power. As you heard read, verses 1 through 8, Pharaoh had two frightening dreams. The first one, as you notice, verses 1 through 3, involved the Nile River. Please, as you're looking at those verses and seeing the Nile pop off the page right now, understand <clears throat> that every aspect of life in Egypt depended on that river. The Nile provided food and resources for the land. It was a critical lifeline that literally brought life to the desert. Because of the Nile, Egypt was not hit as hard as other places in the world during famines. The Nile kept Egypt's fields watered. With watered fields, what produces? Grain. With grain, what happens? People can survive because they have food to eat. And not only people, but livestock. And so, because of the Nile, even during famine, Egypt's economy could keep moving forward. Egypt was a major producer of grain for the ancient world, and the Nile was used to export that important product all around the world. But as you heard read in both these dreams, poverty destroyed plenty. And as the king of Egypt, as the supreme leader of the world, you can see why it was that those dreams shook Pharaoh right out of sleep both times. You can understand now why he wanted to know what do these dreams mean. Which led to the chief cupbearer in verses 9 through 13 to say, Hey, that reminds me, two years ago I had a bad dream. Pharaoh, I was just like you. I was troubled the next day. And, and, and this Hebrew slave in the prison like noticed that I looked distraught and said, what's your problem? Why the long face? And Well, tell me your dream. And so I told him the dream, and he interpreted my dream for me, and everything he said came to be. And all of a sudden, 13 years later, we've reached a turning point in Joseph's life. And once again, friends, God sovereignly used what? 
dreams as a part of his divine plan for Joseph. He used dreams in order to get Joseph into position for the special task that God had chosen to use Joseph for. And that was to save his family by moving them to Egypt and fulfilling what God promised Abraham 88 years earlier in Genesis 15. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 through 10, Joseph had two dreams, remember? Told his brothers, told his family. Genesis chapter 40, God enabled Joseph to be able to interpret two dreams. Chief cupbearer, chief baker in the prison. All Joseph wanted for doing that, verse 14 of Genesis 40, is, hey, cupbearer, when you have Pharaoh's ear, can you mention me? Because I'm in here unjustly. You can get me out of prison. That's all I ask. And then we're told at the end of chapter 40, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And two years later, Pharaoh had two dreams. Do you see a pattern going on here, friends? It's all intentional. And Pharaoh sent, verse 14, and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he shaved himself and changed his clothes, that's kind of interesting detail, wouldn't you suggest? But according to a historian, Joseph had to be cleaned up before he could stand before Pharaoh because Egyptians had extreme care for cleanliness. Men only let their hair and beards grow during times of grieving back then. So Joseph gets all cleaned up. At the end of verse 14, he came in before Pharaoh. And so just stop and think about this moment. Think about this setting. Try to envision this. One moment, Joseph is all scruffy. He's dirty. He's stinky. He's in the bottom of that prison. And the very next moment, he's smooth and he's clean He's sharp, and he's in the top of the palace before one of the most powerful men in the whole world at that time. Talk about an exciting moment. Talk about an intimidating moment, right? But he had nothing to fear in that moment. Why? Because over and over and over and over again, what do we read? The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And right there in that moment, Joseph could have responded arrogantly, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Seems to me that... Uh, my services are in high demand right now, huh? So uh, how much are we talking? He could have done that, couldn't he? Or Joseph could have responded in that moment vengefully. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. 
But before I speak a word to you, Pharaoh, Potiphar, his wife, and that butler, they all got to be gone. Until they're gone, I'm not saying a word. He could have done that, couldn't he? He could have responded shyly, ah, you're too kind. It's nothing. It's not a big deal. Just a little skill I've worked on the past couple years. Please stop. He could have responded all those ways. But how did Joseph respond? He honored God. He testified of God's power. Verse 16, he boldly answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. I'm nothing without God. He will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So as we think about this, does that mean that anytime someone recognizes an ability in you, that you have to automatically say, hey, it's not me, it's God. Not me, God. Not me, God. They notice a job performance. They notice you doing something, you know, really neat. You've blessed them with an ability. Not me, it's God. Do you think we have to do that all the time? I'm not suggesting you have to. You know, we certainly don't want to give a sense of false humility or anything like that. I think we can just thank people for complimenting us. But doing that outwardly while inwardly, God, thank you for these abilities you've given me and enabled me to be a blessing to these people. I think it's okay to handle that that way. The Lord certainly knows your heart. But there are times where it is necessary to outwardly say what Joseph said. And you say, well, when are those times? How do I know the difference? When can I say thanks and when do I need to say, it's not me, it's God? Well, if they're attributing to you something that only God can do, you need to say, hey, it's not me, it's God. And that's what Joseph did. He testified of God's power. Hey, Joseph, word around here is you can interpret dreams. I can't, but God can. And he shot it straight with Pharaoh, verses 17 through 24. Listen to those dreams. Didn't try to bamboozle him. Didn't do any abracadabras. Didn't do any mumbo jumbos. None of that stuff. He simply honored God, testified to God's power, boldly told Pharaoh, God sent the dreams. God will give the interpretation. Testify to God's power. He made sure to testify of God's sovereignty. In verse 25, then Joseph, this 30-year-old Hebrew slave, stood before one of the most powerful men in the whole world and said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. The sovereign God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 28, he repeats it. God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. So in this one narrative, as well as his whole life, friends, the sovereignty of God is interwoven throughout. I love it. It's one of the things I really love about the life of Joseph is to see the sovereignty of God at work. Sovereign over Joseph's dreams. 
sovereign over the brothers selling him to the Ishmaelites, sovereign over the Midianites selling him to Potiphar, sovereign over being falsely accused and put into prison, sovereign over the butler and baker's imprisonment, sovereign over their dreams, sovereign over Pharaoh's dreams, sovereign over Joseph's release from prison. God is sovereign. The Bible tells us our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. You thankful for that? Wow. In another place it says that he can do all things and no purpose of his can be thwarted. Another place the Bible tells us that all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will amongst the hosts of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And notice this, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? In his word, God tells us that he forms light, he creates darkness, he makes well-being and creates calamity. He is the Lord who does all these things. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Joseph knew that God is sovereign and in control of all things. At the same time, Joseph knew that sinful humans are responsible for their evil works. But he was not afraid to testify of God's sovereignty before Pharaoh. Joseph knew that these men, including himself, could not stop the famine. It was already fixed by God. But they knew, based on Joseph's counsel, we can at least prepare for it. The right response to success is to honor God by taking every opportunity to testify of God's power, testify of God's sovereignty, and testify of God's faithfulness. Verse 45, Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paniah, which may mean, there's a lot of debate about what does that mean. And certainly all the ideas of what they may mean would root and uh, be grounded in who God is. So it's pretty cool. But this, this name may mean that God speaks and lives. That's pretty cool when a pagan king hears you speak and recognizes it's God speaking and God lives. Gives Joseph that name. And notice, he gave him in marriage, Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph went out second in command over the land of Egypt. And it would have been very easy now in that position, well, now that he's reached the top, to just all of a sudden forget about God. And I'm going to indulge in the luxuries that this pagan culture is making readily available at my feet just at the snap of my fingers. He could have easily responded that way. But this man, Joseph, remembered God, friends. He testified to God's faithfulness. You go, well, how, where, where do you see that in this text? Verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. 
4, he said, God has made me forget all my long years of hardship and suffering and all the pain and rejection in my father's house. Verse 52, the name of the second, he called Ephraim. For God has richly blessed me, prospered me, made me doubly fruitful in the land of my unjust affliction. And you can imagine in an Egyptian culture, two little boys walking around with Hebrew names and all these pagans giving Joseph weird looks when they hear these names. But these names reminded Joseph and they reminded the entire family of Israel of God's faithfulness. They testified to others of God's faithfulness. So friends, Joseph shows us by way of example that it is imperative for each of us to make it our aim wherever we are and whatever we do to what? Say it with me. Honor God. If you don't aspire to do this on a daily basis, I'll tell you right now, you will miss out on opportunities to honor God. So make it your daily aim to honor God, to testify of God's power, sovereignty, and faithfulness. And Joseph aspired to honor God. He was quick to testify of God, and it made a difference, friends. Verse 38, Pharaoh could see that the Spirit of God was upon Joseph. Verse 39, Pharaoh acknowledged that God had made Joseph discerning and wise. So when you honor God, in even the slightest of ways, it can make a difference in the lives of those around Take every opportunity to honor God. James Montgomery Boyce made some important observations. He said the fact that Joseph kept his eyes on God in adversity is remarkable. But even more remarkable is the fact that he kept his eyes on God when he was prosperous. How often promotions ruin people. A man can be a strong witness for God and be wonderfully used by God in the ministry of his local church when he's in some lowly position in his firm. But let him be promoted to vice president and suddenly he has a new image to keep up. Drops his old friends, moves in with the country club set, and now no longer has time for witnessing Bible study or other Christian activities. And his wife keeps pace with this improvement. She now no longer primarily wants her children to be godly. She wants them to meet the right people, marry those who will promote their careers or social advancement. Many Christians have been impoverished by prosperity. Many have been brought low by promotions. And loved ones, I'll tell you, make no mistake, when prosperity and success ruin a home like that, that impacts a church, which impacts a community, which impacts a country. And we're getting a front row seat to this as believers in the United States of America. By way of example, Joseph teaches you, he teaches me how important it is not only to honor God, but work hard 
work hard. Verse 1, for two whole years, what did Joseph continue doing? Working hard in charge of all those prisoners in the prison. Two years. He worked heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord he would receive the inheritance as his reward. And then verse 14, when he finally got before Pharaoh, verse 16, what did he do? He continued to honor God, verse 25, and worked hard, interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. In verses 33 through 36, he worked hard. He gave Pharaoh an effective plan of action. In other words, he helped a pagan king, the king of Egypt, succeed. And in doing so, he saved many people from starvation. And Joseph told him, verse 33, select a discerning and wise man to set over this storage and distribution of grain. He knew it would be extremely devastating if the entire world of grain fell into the wrong hands. He knew if that supply was in the right hands, that that man would be known as a deliverer. But if you put that whole supply of grain in the wrong hands, that man could be also known as a tyrant. Had to be the right man. And that's what he said before Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh asked, well, can we, verse 38, find a man like this? Notice Joseph didn't assert himself there. He didn't say, why, yes. <laughs> yes, you can, Pharaoh. I'm just happening to be the proud owner of Joe and Co. Grain Exchange. Our motto is, you shuck it, we'll tuck it. I can sign a contract worth 14 years and be your guy, Pharaoh, for a meager $1.4 million. What do you say? He didn't assert himself, did he? Not at all. He worked hard. That's all he did, simply. Worked hard while making sure to maintain his character. And what amazes me is that Joseph is summoned to appear before Pharaoh and in one conversation, that's it, just one conversation, this pagan king could perceive that Joseph was a man of godly character. He had something that Pharaoh's magicians and servants didn't have. He could see it. He could hear it. And so Pharaoh told him, verse 40, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Verse 42, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, which enabled him to now place Pharaoh's seal on official documents. Basically kind of like a credit card, if you would, at that time. I mean, this thing was an honor to be able to wear. But notice it says it clothed him, and this is important, in garments of Egypt's finest linen and put a gold chain about his neck as a symbol of his authority. It was Donald Gray Barnhouse that wrote and said, the secret of power is character, but the secret of character is God. And Joseph had God. 
And because of his character, Joseph was made second in command. But it was because of God that Joseph had that character. So as you're thinking about that, friends, let me just say this to you. No one can expect to be a joyful, wise, and successful person tomorrow if he's being a grumbling, foolish, self-centered person today. No one. Joseph's rise to power did not just happen overnight. It was built on years of maintaining godly character that was developed by consistently walking by faith, submitting to God's will, enduring difficult trials, resisting temptation and sin, living with integrity while trusting in God. Years, 13 years we have record of Joseph maintaining godly character. If he would have been full of bitterness in that moment, if he would have been constantly complaining in that moment, if he would have been seeking revenge in this moment before Pharaoh, he would have missed out on the special task that God had designed for him to be involved with. So therefore, friends, work hard while maintaining your character and develop your competence. Verses 33 through 36, Joseph, he proposed a wise and responsible plan of action. He, in other words, developed his competence. He performed his job effectively. We see a job report, verses 46 through 49. He was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. And he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, look at this, like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. It was so abundant. And then it tells us why all that was so important. Because verse 53, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. And as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the lands of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. And so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And not only that land, but all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. In order to pull this off, friends, and save people from starvation, Joseph had to be a competent, trustworthy leader. This man had to be disciplined. He had to be organized. He had to be diplomatic. He had to be persuasive in the abundant years. Hey, I know you want to use the surplus and take a really nice vacation to Florida, but I need the 20% because I know what's coming. He had to be persuasive. 
And several believers get caught into thinking that character is all that's necessary for any job. Thinking, I'll be successful as long as I maintain my character. But the truth is, you also need to develop your competence. In order to be successful, you need to be godly, yes. And you also need to be good at what you do. That is a biblical key to what is true success, friends. Evangelist F.B. Meyer summed up Joseph's life in chapter 41 in just some very moving language. And I want to conclude by sharing what he wrote. He said, it was a wonderful ascent, sheer in a single bound from the dungeon to the steps of the throne. His father had rebuked him when he was 17 years old. Now Pharaoh, the greatest monarch of his time, welcomes him as a 30-year-old. His brethren despised him. Now he was considered to be the second greatest force in Egyptian politics and life. The hands that were hard with the toils of a slave are adorned with a signet ring. The feet that are no longer tormented by fetters. A chain of gold is linked around his neck. The coat of many colors torn from him by violence and defiled by blood. The garment left in the hand of the adulteress are exchanged for vestures of fine linen drawn from the royal wardrobe. He was once trampled upon as the offscuring of all things, and now all Egypt is commanded to bow before him as he rides forth in the second chariot, prime minister of Egypt, second only to the king. Our God is amazing, isn't he? So friends, for those of you who know Christ, the right response to success is to honor God and work hard. Take every opportunity to testify of God's power, testify of God's sovereignty, testify of God's faithfulness while you maintain your character and develop your competence. And for those of you who are listening that do not know Christ this morning, Please understand as we wrap that whole chapter up, we heard about the whole world having to come to Joseph during a famine. Why? Because he had bread and they needed bread in order to live. And years later, after Joseph came, a man who is Jesus Christ who said on this earth, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And everyone must come to Jesus Christ, the bread of life, if they want to have eternal life. And so friend, if you don't know Christ, I urge you today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says when you do that, you will be saved. When you come to the bread of life for salvation, you will be satisfied. Not just for a little bit, but for all eternity. You'll have eternal life. That's good stuff, amen, church? Father, thank you so much.
for providing us what's necessary for life and for godliness. And I pray that with any measure of a success or recognition, with any compliment, I pray that we would just do our part in honoring you in those moments and continuing to work hard for the glory of God alone. I pray for my friends who've listened to this and they've just heard the gospel and what Jesus Christ, the bread of life, offers them. God, I pray you would turn them away from their sins and draw them to yourself. I pray today would be the day of their salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name.